and welcome to Health Chat. I'm your host, Andy Friedman. I'm a licensed clinical independent social worker and a certified cognitive behavioral therapist. And as always with me, the wonderful... Dr. Alyssa Handler, board certified in internal medicine. And we have a very, very special, special show for you guest. Too, with a special guest. Very special. Um, today with us today to talk about migraines is Dr. Tim Kelleher, who is board certified in neurology. Welcome. Welcome, Thank Tim. you, colleagues. We're so excited. We Thanks are for so having me this here. This is our very first episode that we have, we have a, guest. a guest speaker. You're really? our first guest on oh, Health yes. Chat. First wow. guest. So welcome. I am honored. I am honored. Thank you for well, having me. Well, this is so exciting. So we brought you here today to mm -hmm. talk about migraines. Oh. Uh, oh, we did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we, um, we've we heard from some of our listeners that um, that's an important subject for them. So we thought we'd have you on today to talk a little bit about that. Um, so can you just start us off to just tell us what is a migraine? So migraine, by definition, is an episodic headache disorder. Okay. okay. And the international headache uh, society has decided um, on strict criteria to define it for research purposes. So it's a headache that doesn't, now it doesn't have to fit all of these, but it has to include some of these. It would be a unilateral headache that's throbbing in quality with nausea and or vomiting, light or sound sensitivity, aggravated by activity. Okay, so okay. those are the major components in terms of diagnosing a migraine and it's got to be moderate or severe in severity yeah moderate severe and severity and it needs to be uh four to 72 hours in length oh wow so this is just not your run-of-the-mill headache this is something well sounds really severe i didn't know that um vomiting and nausea was associated with it yeah so that is very common but it's actually more run-of-the-mill than you think it's the third most common disease that affects humans wow hmm. Wow, I did, did not know that. No, yes, I most people don't know that. Yeah. It's actually 15% of our population. So hmm. people maybe aren't talking about it as much as we need to. Or they think it's something else. Or they think it's something else. Right. Okay. okay. And isn't it, is it true, mm -hmm. Dr. Kelleher, that women are frequently more affected by migraines than men? Can you give us any stats on that yep. or any? Well-known stats. So if you think about headaches, only 15% of the world, 15 to 20% of the world will ever get a headache, and most of them are, are women. So it's three to one, almost four to one, when you look at the, at the ratios of headaches, wow. female over men. So I'm always a little more cautious when a guy comes in with a headache than when a woman comes in with a headache with similar symptoms. Because you just, think that it might be something more serious? Well, not necessarily more serious, huh. but not, it's statistically less likely to be a migraine in a man than it is in a woman. Oh, okay. okay. That's a great question. So yeah. that's interesting. And there, there are different types of migraines, right? There are. So in terms of classifying migraine, the first thought process is, does it have a visual aura or does it not have a visual aura? Can you explain what an, an yeah, aura explain is? explain what an aura is okay, so for an, our listeners. So an aura is when you have complicating neurologic features like visual changes or, or trouble speaking or um, sensory changes are the three most common types of associated aura with migraine. And the visual being the most common, and that's about 10 to 20%, depending on which study you look at, in terms of migraines. And migraine with aura may or may not be different. We know that there's this, um, this depolarization, a change in the electricity of the brain associated um, in the cortex of the brain that happens 
um, a while before you actually get the migraine, but it is associated with the visual changes, okay? So then somebody who's going to get a migraine, this would be a harbinger. It's, it's often a warning, sign, a warning and it, sign, and it can precede the headache by up to an hour. Oh, wow. Right. And so people see, when you say visual changes, they see spots or they see So being light? a migraine or myself, oh, I can describe it I'm very sorry. well. Okay. I'm the, sorry. The most common visual aura is either... Um, a black spot in your vision that changes, but more commonly it can be associated with some sparkly lights around it. So I know when I get my visual aura, it starts as this silver speck that slowly increases in size and takes over up to a quarter to a third of my visual field and then slowly migrates off my visual field and disappears. And then I may or may not get a nasty headache. Oh, wow. And so is it true that the the light phenomenon Mm -hmm. that you're describing, that some people can have that without the headache? Yep. And that's called an ocular migraine. Is that correct? Correct. Because I I see a lot of people that will describe this, and sometimes we're not sure if that's just an eyeball problem or a stroke symptom. So how can you tell what the difference is? Well, You can't always clinically differentiate those, and you need a good eye exam, especially if it's the first time it's happening. I always tell my patients, immediately get to the eye doctor before you come to see me, um, because the visual aura can be mimicked by a retinal detachment. That's the most common thing. And that is an emergency and needs to be treated by your ophthalmologist immediately, so that's important. Oh, so if you have one of these eye symptoms, it's important to... Not ignore it, get it right. checked out right, right away. Great, that's great information, Dr. Um, Kelleher. I wanted to go back to you talking about it's more common in women. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear that, I think of hormonal changes. Is is getting migraines related to hormonal changes, either our monthly cycle or menopause, pregnancy, pregnancy <clears throat> that menopause, sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so, so we know... Drops in estrogen seem to be the biggest cause of stimulating migraine when it's hormone-related. Um, so women typically on their off periods of their, of their contraceptive, oral contraceptive, are going to get headaches. And people right before they ovulate, well, there's a big drop in estrogen, often is the time they get headaches. And so a lot, of, a lot of women, until they track their headaches with their menstrual cycle, don't realize that there's a big association. That's always one of the first things we do. And that's just headaches in general, yeah. or it's specific to migraines? Um, migraines. Migraines. Yep. Okay, that's very interesting. And I think an important point to make, too, is that there are hundreds and hundreds of people out there seeing their doctor and seeing ear, nose, and throat doctors for sinus headaches, when we know study after study after study has really shown that sinus headaches are very, very rare. A 90-something percent of sinus headaches are actually migraines. Really? Yeah. And you can't, you're, you're not a sinus headache unless you have discharge, signs of infection, and the headache. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that is that's incredible. Very interesting. That is yeah. very interesting because... Yeah. I don't know. I get sinus headaches sometimes. I now I got to think about it. Right. Well, it, yeah. it, the whole migraine, the whole migraine cascade, from the from the electrical discharge and then the hypersensitivity to your environment is also associated with vascular congestion, and it's not uncommon for your sinuses to get congested during the migraine, especially early oh, on. I see. So everyone yeah. thinks it's a sinus headache because their nose is stuffed up, but it's actually the migraine causing this nose to Just stuff up. Just explain what vascular congestion means. Stuffiness. Right? 
Just so, like just stuffy nose. Yeah, stuffy yeah. nose would be yeah. vascular yeah. congestion. So okay. your blood vessels dilate and your tissues swell and it stuffs up your nose. Like a histamine yeah. kind of reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So that's wow, comorbid with that. That's really interesting. So I have I have a couple of questions also yeah. just to clarify a few things about migraines. Are there are there certain um, factors that trigger? So you mentioned the estrogen component. Yep. Right. Are there other things like alcohol, which again is usually my favorite topic <laughs> is, to talk this about? This is Dr. Is, Handler's is there favorite topic. Or food triggers that trigger migraines? If you want to know about alcohol, <laughs> check out episode five episode on five. alcohol. <laughs> well, this is very small. Okay, we can put that up. And this is a list of potential triggers. We will put that on the web, on the Facebook yeah, so page and on this video. So yeah, that's a huge list. It's t- it's by an wow. old company that doesn't exist anymore and I've been carrying this around for 20 something years and So for your it. listeners at home, he he gave us a piece of paper um, with little tiny words on it that mm-hmm. have a lot of triggers and warning signs on it. Uh, and foods and suspected foods. I think when you look at that list, you realize that migraine is probably how a fussy brain tells you it doesn't like what's going on in the environment, and something has hypersensitized that brain. And I think that's really what research is starting to pan out, is that there's something going on, and there's a big hereditary component, too. We should talk about that, yeah. but continue. That just makes your brain hypersensitive for a specific period of time. And for most people, it's less; it's three days or less. But for some people, it's a lot longer. So would somebody... Does it take time, like so for example, the food, Mm -hmm. does it take time before the headache happens or is it kind of, or does it vary? Depends on the person Yeah. and what what the trigger was. I know if I have caraway seeds, which is a funny trigger and is one of my (laughs) triggers, I have about an hour. Till really? I'm going to be throwing up. No rye bread for you, Dr. Kelleher. Yeah, oh, the Irish no. soda that bread kills me. That explains a lot. Wait, but I want to show Dr. <laughs> Handler that on the top of the food list is... Alcohol. Alcohol, alcohol red wine, particularly red wines and champagne. Red wine. Right. Explain that. Well, we think it's more the sulfates than the wine, and oh, it's typically a red, red wine has, has more, more sulfates. Yeah. Right, right, right. And champagne right. tone as well. Right. And and so we do counsel, I do counsel my patients about triggers for migraines, which I believe is also sleep deprivation. Yep. Do you uh, want yes. to mention some other environmental things that well, people should do to, <clears throat> if they are sensitive to migraines, what can they do to help prevent them? Um, keep a good routine. And it's not sleep ju- just sleep deprivation, it's also sleeping too much. So a lot of patients will find out if they sleep more than eight hours, they get a migraine. If they sleep less than seven hours, they get a migraine. If the weather's changing, they get a migraine. If they had a fight with someone, there's a migraine. And then there's letdown migraines, which are very common, and we don't quite understand how they're happening pathophysiologically. Ex- Explain letdown so, migraine. You have a test, you know, a student has a test, they study all night for several days, finally the test is over, the stress goes away, and boom, the headache hits. Really? Or I've been working, 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 I go on vacation, my first day of vacation, I get a migraine. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's really interesting. So we've got um, food, are there certain, other than this letdown thing, are there certain things that are really more prevalent or really common um, that trigger it? Uh, food triggers, which we've food triggers, talked, right, about. We talked about, uh, menstrual association right. with okay. the estrogens, and sleeping and not eating is really one of the big, not big ones. Not eating. Not eating. Skipping so meals. So we're right now we're in this sort of 
crazy era of fasting, right. <laughs> right? right? And that is maybe not good for people. Everybody thinks that's so healthy, but maybe it's not good. Right. And um, dehydration. Dehydration. Well. Flashing kind of lights. goes into that. Flashing uh, lights. Right. Interesting. Flashing so don't lights. go to the disco. <laughs> no, in fact, one of the tests we do, which helps us know that you know this brain might be a migraine brain, is when we do photic stimulation on a brainwave test. A, a migrainer's, which is a person with migraine, a migrainer's brain will pulse with the light. Um, really? Yeah, will sync right up with it and start pulsing with it. So if you have a, well, so that's called photic driving. And if you have a very strong photic driving response, you're probably a migrainer. Wow, so that's one of the diagnostic tools. Well, we don't really have any tool to say this is migraine or not. It's ruling out all the bad stuff and following, you know, the pattern that looks like migraine and, and fitting all the definition. So you have to connect a whole bunch of dots Correct. to call it a migraine. So, so I guess you answered that question, which I had was what, how do you diagnose a migraine? Um, I guess you do some sort of process of elimination. Do you often do that? We were talking a little bit before about if you have the eye symptoms, you go to the eye doctor first right. to make sure. And I think anyone with, with visual auras, if they haven't had them since they were very, very young and they don't run strongly in the family, they need an imaging study to make sure that everything's okay. Because migraines can happen anytime the brain is damaged by other causes too. So it's not uh, uncommon after a head injury. To okay, get, I was going to gonna say, like a traumatic head injury. Do I don't know people who've had concussions? Do they are they more likely to have migraines? They can get migraines. Yeah. So we were, ta you know, talking about CTE and that sort of thing. And right. So that that's one of the mm -hmm. the possible symptoms. Very yeah. interesting. So I also had another question to ask you. Yes, Dr. Hamilton. And I was curious. <laughs> She's very curious if, about this. Um, you know, if, if you are someone with migraines, mm -hmm. are you more at risk for having a stroke? Okay, so in terms of stroke and migraine, there's a little bit up in the air. So we know there's um, an association of migraine with R with stroke. Okay, so your, your risk is increased a little bit, but not enough for us to get wound up about. But if you start throwing on estrogen therapy, smoking, and age, your risk for stroke really starts climbing. So a woman with migraine with aura should not be on a birth control pill if she smokes and she's 35 year old, because then your chance of having a stroke is a hundred times above the population. Wow. So no physician will... But we, well, any informed physician would not put a patient who smokes and has migraines and is 35. Would not put them on the pill. Right. Right. And is that also true for someone who is doing hormone replacement post-menopause? Yes. Okay. Right. All right. That's good to know. Yeah. That is good to know, yeah. Well, there's also, there's also an association with migraine, with aura, with holes in your heart. Uh, Explain. Is, okay, so <laughs> a lot, actually, a fair amount of the population is born with, with well, a lot of us are born with a hole in our heart, and it usually closes in childhood. But about 10, 15% of the population, it doesn't close. As high as 20% in some studies. So that's called a patent foramen ovale, that little hole in your heart. And there is a, a, a big association with people with migraines who have that. Interesting. But they've done studies where they've closed it, and it didn't seem to change the migraines. Okay. Okay. So it may be just correlated and not a causal. Yeah, they're yeah. still working that out. So yeah. there's more information to study. Well, that's I really interesting. I did not know that. Yep. So is that true for other heart conditions, like nope, just mitral that valve prolapse or something like that, or murmurs? Or nope, no, just, just this one. hole in, the, in yeah. the heart. And then in terms of stroke, there's one other thing that... 
as we get older, the headache component of migraine goes away and the weird features like the visual auras increase. Oh. So most people who don't get auras as they get older may get auras. So if that's happening to you, don't panic because that's a normal progression. Okay. And then the, usually by 60, 65, the headache component of migraines going away and getting the visual stuff or having trouble talking for an hour or two or getting some marching numbness becomes much more common. And they're often confused with TIAs. And what's a TIA? T, TIA is I had the symptoms of a stroke, but it didn't last and went away. Oh, okay. Okay. If it lasted more than an hour, it's probably a stroke. And so if you're, if you're a migraine and you're having these, we still want you to go to the emergency room to get evaluated because often we can't even tell clinically a migraine from a stroke. And it's not until you've done it repeatedly for a long time and you don't have strokes that we start thinking it might be migraine. So don't, you know, go to the so emergency room. So don't ignore room. them. Right. That's just good advice across the board. Right. But that's really interesting. Do, do they think they know why? We would the headache component would go away. No, we don't understand that. Wow, that's really, really fascinating. We don't really understand what's going on in migraine that much. <laughs> you know, they think they come up with these theories, and I think they work out little pathways, like some of the new medications that are out are based right. on some theories, but they still don't it's even know how It's kind of working of backwards. Work. So, yeah. like, the, oh, this medication works, and this it works on this system. So, right. maybe that is what's going on. Right. Um, well, that that uh, are we ready to talk about treatment? Or? Yeah. So you sort of we're sort of bridging into the treatment of of migraine. I know it's very complicated, mm -hmm. but can you maybe speak to what would be the first medication someone might take, maybe even over the counter, uh, before they even go into prescription drugs? Like, would you like to recommend some like general? someone can take if they're having headaches? What's What would be the safest uh, choice to make? So when I think about migraines, even for, before I think about medication, I'm thinking about pathways of treatment. And there's two pathways of treatment. The first would be abortive treatment. I have a headache. I need to take something now to get rid of to it. To get rid of it. Exactly. And yeah. then preventative treatment. You know, I get too many headaches. I need to take something every day for it to go away. So Let's start with the abortive treatment because I think that's where your main question is right now. Right. So the abortive treatments, most people come in and they've tried Tylenol at least, but Tylenol isn't great for headaches, okay? It's more for fevers than it is for pain relief, although it seems as we get older, it does better for pain relief, especially arthritis in the elderly. I'm learning so much today. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people can't take things in the Motrin family, which is actually probably my, better. It's my favorite, yeah. yeah. Well, it's great. But a lot of people can't, can't take it. Can't there are many it. contraindications, yeah. and yeah. their stomach can't tolerate it. So usually that would be my first choice is just six or 800 of ibuprofen, okay? But a lot of people have tried that by the time they come in. And sometimes I'll move to another medication in that family that might be a little stronger. And I think um, a lot of people that I've, I've treated in the past, I like fluorbiprofen, which is only available by prescription. I, and only because there were some head-to-head -head studies of medications in that family, and naproxen and fluorbiprofen did a little better than the other non-steroidal. So whether that's held, that was an old study. I don't know if it's held up with time, but... Lord, what about uh, the use of Excedrin migraine? That's a brand <gasps> product. I'm just curious <laughs> what your take, you know, what. I'm going to say that he has a reaction to yeah. that. I don't know. I'm just going to take a stab. <laughs> so Excedrin. Tell us your take on that. A Excedrin 
is a mixture of aspirin, Tylenol, and caffeine. caffeine. Oh. Right? And anytime we add caffeine to a pain reliever, it makes it work better. But caffeine can cause rebound headaches, which you all know if we've drank too much caffeine. Right. And for some reason, mixing caffeine with an analgesic seems to cause rebound headaches quicker. And so if a patient, uh, it's not uncommon for a patient to come in saying they're using 12 to 14 to 16 Excedrin a day, and they're wondering why they're having headaches. And I'm like, I can't help you. I don't even know if you have migraines. Right. We have to get you off the Excedrin, and the withdrawal is terrible. Really? So that's cautionary tale there. So don't get me wrong. It's a good medication if you can only use it occasionally. Yeah, if people are just taking maybe four tablets a month or something, you're saying minimize, but if someone's on a... A daily dose, of course, there's going to be a potential for a withdrawal from that drug, right. whatever you're taking, right, really. Right. Um, okay, so that's good information. What else? Um, any other over-the-counter products you would recommend or not recommend? Well, now there aren't a lot of choices. That's the problem. And so I find patients, you know, someone with liver disease and stomach disease, which often go hand in hand, they can't take Tylenol, they can't take anything in the Motrin family or any aspirin, so even Excedrin's out. And we're kind of stuck in terms of everyday treatment. And then I'll reach for some of the homeopathic stuff. And there's studies that show that magnesium is decent for migraine and vitamin B2, which is riboflavin, is good for migraine. These are more for prevention though, not for getting rid of your headache, but cutting down on your headaches. But I also find that if we get a patient and we know that they're comfortable that if they get the headache, they can get rid of it, the frequency of their headache often reduces. Just if because, they take those supplements. No, ju- no oh. even without just knowing that they have oh. something to get rid of their headache that works, they don't get as many headaches. And then we often don't have, so that's why I work on the abortive regimen before I even think about preventative because their headaches might reduce in frequency. Well, I'm going to remember that because I have a question for you related to that, but we'll, we'll continue. Uh, with. So when you mentioned the magnesium and the B2 mm-hmm. vitamins, um, so what doses are you suggesting or is that... Is that more than what the bottles say or, so or mag- stronger than that? Well, magnesium, it's 400 a day, and the riboflavin is 200 twice a day is the way I usually do it. You can do mm-hmm. it at once or you can do it twice a day. I do it twice a day. Okay. And then so this- that's about maybe double what a regular dosing for like on the, a bottle of a vitamin is what it Usually uh, says. It really depends on the vitamin. You okay. got you got to read it. And I would say also so check talk, with your doctor. About I would say check with your doctor to make yeah. sure you can take it too, because you exactly. can't take it with everything. Yeah, and and also I I feel like uh, a lot of the over counter over over the counter um, supplements mm-hmm. are not exactly the strength that they say they are, and to get some very high quality stuff or even right. It's it's not a prescription, but you can get a prescription. And also, is it magnesium citrate or magnesium sulfate that you recommend because most of the over-counter stuff is sulfate. sulfate yeah we usually go with the sulfate yeah you do right okay there, there which is also epsom salts <laughs> well there's a, there's actually an over-the-counter um combination of magnesium riboflavin and i'm pretty sure it's feverfew it's called migrelief oh is the brand name version oh and you and you feel that that's a pretty strong brand and that yeah that that that, that works well and it okay. seems to work better than the individual constituents and i wish i had stock in this company and i don't <laughs> um because we do use it a lot and the magnesium seems to be easier on the stomach than when you just take the mag sulfate by itself because okay. that does bother a lot of people's stomach and uh it seems to work better interesting yeah. great 
So that's, that's great information. And then you were talking about at what point do you decide to use um, the preventative medication? Like what number of headaches per week would you say someone should consider uh, being on a daily pill to prevent the headaches? Well, Dr. Handler, in terms of looking, <laughs> in terms of looking at preventative, you know, a lot of it's how hard so it, it's not just how frequent, but frequent. So I think if you're losing up to a quarter of your time to your headache, you really need to be on a preventative, okay? Yeah. So if you're getting four or five a day, I mean, four oh. or five a month, oh. so yeah. four or five a month, that could potentially take you out of work. That's just ridiculous, and you need to go on a preventative. Um, it also, sometimes we, even if you're only getting them occasionally, but they're hard to get rid of once they start, then we'll go to, to a preventative also. And if we're treating comorbid um, issues or other things that can go along with, and I'll explain that in a minute, with a migraine, we might choose a preventative earlier. And there's a high association with things like irritable bowel with, oh. with, um, with migraines and depression with migraines. And so, you know, sometimes we might need to treat the other stuff and we'll pick something that's also going to overlap and work on the migraine. Well, that brings me to my question, which as a cognitive behavioral therapist, um, that's one of the treatments for yeah. migraines or for preventing migraines. And so um, it makes me think when you said earlier about how just knowing you have something to, to make the headache go mm -hmm. away makes them less, which sounds like a fear response yep. that's triggering the migraine. Right. And so treating um, anxiety, maybe a little bit of panic around the, the migraine, that you can reduce the frequency. So Correct. And of course, depression as well. Um, and biofeedback works especially huh. well with adolescents. Adolescents, oh. young adults, respond unbelievably to biofeedback. But they have to remember to stop and use those techniques once they've learned it. Right, yeah. right, which is always a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Right. yes, yes. So what are some of those uh, medications or treatments? It's, it's, not only <clears throat> it's not only like over the, you know, pill that you take, right? Right. So traditionally, our... Um, medications that have been used to treat migraines were were found because they were treating something else and patients realized their headaches got better. And they came from three classes, the antidepressants, the mm -hmm. antihypertensive, the blood pressure medications, and the seizure medications. But with time, the biggest story in modern day is Botox. How women were getting that cosmetically and saw a big reduction in their headaches. And then some are based on research that's held up and some that didn't hold up. I mean, yeah. we were teaching 10, 15 years ago about this big serotonin cascade that we're getting mixed results in terms of uh, research on whether that theory that led to the development of uh, Imitrex and the triptans, that whole family of migraine medication, um, uh, on whether that, that whole theory is going to hold up or not. Mm. But the medication works well, and we're happy to have it, because prior to that, we really didn't have a headache-specific medication. And uh, another pathway uh, that's recently been studied, and the medications have just come out in the last year and a half, are the CGRP antagonists, calcitonin gene-related peptide antagonists. Okay. So, I, I, you know, I don't want to go into the is neuroscience. Or no. What are we, so what is that class? So the what? CGRPs are a new class. They've only been out, like I said, about a year. They're injectable once a month. Oh, right. Okay. Right. 
So uh, the brand names are Anjovi, um, Amavig, Egality, and a fourth one has come out, and I don't remember its name. Mm. So they're only available by brand name, and they're about the same price as Botox. I was going to say, sounds expensive. Yeah, yeah. it's very but expensive. But before you get to there, uh, don't we use a lot of Topamax, or isn't that a yep. common yeah, that's drug common. for yep. that's maybe not as expensive and worth a try? Or? Topamax is hard to stay on for most mm-hmm. people. It can yeah. have a lot of side effects, yeah. I've noticed. A lot yeah. of side effects and it, it, it is very effective especially uh, so that's in the seizure medication mm-hmm. um, it's kind of replaced what we used to use years ago which was Depakote now we oh. really know because of the side effect profile right. for pregnancy that we don't use it uh-huh. um, and and several other side effects um, but it, it's kind of replaced that in terms of especially the menstrually driven ones it works oh, very well I see. with hmm, the hormone yeah. well I'm a, I want to wrap up a little bit but before we wrap up is there any sort of take-home message you want to tell our listeners about migraines or you know no, how I, to get treated or I just think if you're not satisfied with control of your headaches you know you really should see a neurologist because it's so common most neurologists are very very comfortable dealing with this and if not, they Very punt. Nice. They punt to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. and um, you know, and also, I think if there's any unusual features to your headache, you really should discuss them with your doctor. And don't just yeah. s- sit home and be like, you know, well, my mother got them and my grandmother got them because it's such a strong inheritance that almost everyone oh. has a hereditary component. With we didn't migraine. really get to get yeah. into that too much, but yeah, that it, that you know, ask your your family if they're. No, there's just so many yeah. women lying in bed because right. their mother did for three with days, the cold, couple with times. the cold uh, right. washcloth right. over their head. <gasps> You're right, honey. I'd not tonight. I have a sick headache. Right. <laughs> Oh, you mean we can't use that one anymore? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you shouldn't because never, there's good treatment. Never. Right. I never use enough. that ever. Right. Um, Thank you so much well, for that wonderful Dr. Keller. Thank you both yeah. for having no, me. This is No, fun. this was really, really good. I think we just scratched the surface, honestly, and, and there's so much more we could talk about. Yeah. Just even in neurology, that we'd love to have you back another sure. time. We have another yeah. topic in great. neurology. So um, I want to thank Dr. Tim Kelleher. Thank you, Tim. For coming Thanks in for and talking me. about migraines with us. I want to thank my co-hosts. Thank you, Andy. It's always a pleasure. Dr. Alyssa Handler. And I'm Andy Friedman. Uh, and I'm Alyssa Handler. Yes, and we are Health Chat. Health Chat. And please join us for our next episode coming up soon. And we're hoping to talk about Lyme disease if we can. That's right. We're going to hopefully uh, have a guest. And our local expert on that one. Yes, so a stay very, tuned. very, very important. Very good. Thank you. So join us next time on Health Chat.